Leslie and Paul and the Gilberts again. Thank you. Ernie, you had your fingers moving on that bad boy. <laughs> that was really good. Thank you. <clears throat> Reminds us of the season we're in. That uh, Every day is a day for us to be thanking God for what he's done. And <clears throat> thank you for bringing that before us. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts once again. Acts chapter 17, we find ourselves. And uh, I think we're going to read the portion of Scripture and then just back up a moment as uh, we'll give ourselves context. But we'll begin now in verse 16. Um, actually, I'm going to start in uh, Acts 17 and verse 15. 15. How about 14? 14 is going to be the right verse for us to pull it together. Gives us just kind of the connecting point. Acts 17, verse 14, beginning now there in verse 14. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea, but Silas and Timotheus abode there still. They that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him that he saw the city woefully given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him on the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you were too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though, the, the, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, and though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art or man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. 
May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for this time we have to be surrounding ourselves around the word, the truth. Father, we would ask that it's, as it's administered to us today, we would ask that it would be through exclusivity of the Holy Spirit. Father, we'll thank you for all of those that are here today as we join united in worshiping and praising you. Father, we ask that you're glorified, that you're honored, and we would worship you. Father, there are those today that have, they have needs. They have things that are bothering them, things that are on their minds. Father, for these moments, calm their hearts. May they set them aside as we focus on gaining a more perfect relationship and understanding of you. We know we can trust you to bring us assurance. Father, thank you for caring enough to show us yourself. Thank you for being a creator, a provider, a revealer, and a savior. Thank you for these moments. Now guide us. Take us where you want us to be. There's so much here, Father. Take us now. In Christ's name, amen. Um, as <clears throat> Laramie, maybe if you could put the map back on the wall, it'll help us once again bring context to what's going on. Uh, Paul and Silas, and they've been joined by Timotheus, and uh, along the way, Luke, on the second missionary journey. And uh, there's, there's been lots of things going on. There we go. Um, <clears throat> I'm not going to go all the way back into the second journey, but they essentially were in Asia and wanting to go further uh, west. And as it seems, you can just tell that they kicked them up, uh, the Holy Spirit, that is, and kind of rolled them from Troas into Neapolis. They've already spent a little bit of time in Philippi, started a church there, went through Amphipolis and Apollonia. They were in Thessalonica, were kicked out of that place, went to Berea. And uh, that place, they were also Paul left alone. That's one thing I want to make sure that you understand today. We're in Athens, but Athens is a place that Paul is alone. The team is not there. The team is not there. Where did he end up? He's in Athens. They've taken him down here, right here in Greece. Now, I was going to look up and see what the population of Athens was in approximately this time. I, I failed to do that. But it would have been on somewhat of the decline. Of when, Athens, when Greece was the power of the world, Athens was very heightened in the sense of its power and prominence. However, it would have been somewhat of a decline, but still would have held very much the strong, what should we say, in a bit, uh, the strong strengths that they would have seen themselves as having. That is, they had multitudes of gods. Let me say that again. They had multitudes of gods. In fact, one of them said there it's easier to find a god, small g, than it is to find a man. <laughs> that would be some. No, I was going to say something else. We're not going to. Not going to say that. Athens was a place of education. It was a place of knowledge. It was a place that men sought things that were very similar to what the United States of America serves today. There's two, there's two names that are listed, Epicureans and Stoics. Epicureans, we would say, would be their god, small g again, would be pleasure. Whatever it took, wherever it was, whatever needed to be, we will serve the god of pleasure. Now, they weren't atheists by the sense in the saying that they were an atheist, which again is a very, it's a very weird term for me. Uh, someone that says, comes to me and says, I'm an atheist. 
There is no God. Uh, that's a really bold statement. You can be agnostic. You can say you don't know if there's a God, but to say there is absolutely no God is to say that you've been everywhere in this universe, of which we don't even know the confines. You must know everything there is to know to make sure that there's no God. Therefore, I say there is no such thing as an atheist because there is no equal to God. But practically, which what I'm saying, a practical atheist we find amongst our nation today. We live like there is no God. That's a common theme, isn't it? I would have to say the Epicureans uh, want a place that in the United States that they would probably love to be would be Vegas. You do whatever you want, as long as you want, for whatever you want, and then supposedly you leave it there. <laughs> the Epicureans would have been very comfortable in Vegas. Everything that they did was for themselves. I told you about a man last week, uh, and I, I can't even say it, pronounce his last name. I, forgot, I haven't forgotten it. It sort of starts with a W and ends a long ways out there with an N, so it's a long name. But this is a man that supposedly, I, I'm, I'm using that term carefully because he claimed that he had been saved, he trusted Christ, and he was a pastor for 25 years in four or five different churches. Would have been through a circuit of 126 churches in his career. I don't... I've never counted how many churches I've been in, but nonetheless, to have spent 25 years supposedly preaching the Word of God to people, and then today he is a self-proclaimed atheist that does not believe there is a God, and when you die, you are come, become dirt. But he believes in evolution today. That's weird. But that's the power of the God of this universe. And what I mean by that is Satan, who is running the system, the show, the societal goes and takes. Paul has entered in a place that is, it's, I would have to say, just completely scary. Now, here's the thing. As they're, as, they're, as they're residing in the Motel 6, gathering up, oh, wait a minute. There's only Paul. There's no team. He's waiting for Silas and Timotheus to come. But in the meantime, you know that Paul's not hanging out just around a table. Uh, he's out there working, and where you find him again in the synagogues. He was in the marketplace. Uh, that place would be just sort of a gathering. It, and I'm not, this isn't exactly correct, but I remember a trip to Brazil that I took, uh, oh, I'm going to say 10, 15 years ago. And we went into a, the, the difference in, in Brazil that I found, or Mexico for that matter probably, is when they say town, that is not a Sheridan or a Twin Bridges. Uh, the man that I was with spoke English and Portuguese, and we had a stock trailer and a one-ton Ford pickup that had a Cummins in it from the factory. That's another story. We'll leave it lay there for a moment. That long ago, it got 32 miles, I can't hardly really stop it, 32 miles a gallon, and it came out of the Ford factory. And we're like, what? But another day. So anyway, we drive through, and there's a town, he says, we're going to be entering this town. And I'm thinking, town, town. And I'm, we're driving up, oh, this is a big town. In fact, as I found out later, it was a million people. Whoa. And we were driving, again, pickup and trailer, and there's none of those around. Kids on the corners would jump on the corners of the, of the, of the stock trailer, you know, and then come along for the ride. It was, it was actually very like just stepping us back 30, 40, 50 years. But I remember driving through this, what, 
what would say the town square or the marketplace. We couldn't hardly get through there. It was like, I'm going to say four or five blocks of just a mass of people on a Friday night. I'll have to be honest. I thought, what is going to happen here? This looks bad. But they just... And I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking like right next to the truck, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of people just gathered at the town square. Somehow, I think Athens was that place in the marketplace. People were just gathering. And Paul is doing his thing. And whoever wants to listen to him street preach, and I'm not saying it in the way that maybe your mind comes to that right now, but he would be asking questions of those coming by. There's three questions that could be asked anywhere, actually, in the world today. Where did I come from? Where did you come from? And I'm not talking about, well, I just came from... No, no, no. I'm talking about, where did you come from? Why are you here? That's another question. Where did you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? Those are three questions humanity needs to ask. Every single person, sometime when they have the, the difference between right and wrong, knowing that there's something, is those three questions you must come up with with an answer. And if you don't, that's a scary thought. Deal with it, right? Where did I come from? Is that evolution or creation? Now, just, you know, there's, there's really the two things right there. Where did I come from? Boy, I tell you what, evolution, I tell you what, leaving you out in the dark. You start in the dark, you end in the dark, and you are in the dark. But most of it's by choice. Why am I here? Now, if evolution is the process of how you got here, why am I here? See, that's where the Epicureans or that system falls closely. If there's not a good reason that you're here, then you can do whatever you want. This is 70 or 80 years of you. Now, they're, they're worshiping a god as well, and it's called self. Now, the one that's really tricky for those, though, that believe that evolution is how you got here, and then you just serve yourself, the third question, where am I going, is very dismal, very hopeless, very without any direction at all. Because you know what is the end? Take a dirt nap. They sort of say that with a little bit of, when it's over, it's over. Now, I must, I must, be, I must confess, if you just don't, don't stay there long, but slip on that side of the curtain for just a moment, in other words, you really believe that there is... When is the last time you went to a, look at a house showing? Maybe none of you ever have, but have you purchased a house? Just stay with me for just a moment. You've went through this beautiful house. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's fantastic. The den is in the right spot, and it's got four bedrooms, and it's got the three baths, and it's got even a, it's got a loft. It's got the man cave. It's got everything. And you say, who, is, who, who built this? This is fantastic. Well, funny you should ask. We had all the materials stacked up. And then a, a guy had a piece of dynamite and he just lit it and it blew up and it turned into this. <laughs> Friends, I'm telling you, that's what evolution is saying creation, is what the universe became. It just blew up. And here it is. The other thing we need, nothing works unless everything works. Nothing works unless everything works. You don't get to develop an ear over the course of coming from an insect or an amoeba. An amoeba did not have an ear, didn't need one, but somehow Paul's sitting here because there was an amoeba? Second law of thermodynamics, we can prove it. Science does prove second law of thermodynamics. We are slowing down. 
There it goes to less order, from more order to less order. That's the total opposite of what evolution is claiming. And yet the, re the, the guys believe this stuff. But if you believe that, then the reason you're here is because you do what you want to do. And that's actually where I think they start. Because to get that ending, you must start somewhere where there is no beginning, if you will. Because if there's a design, if there's a plan, if there's someone, then you are responsible to that person. That's where they don't want to go. But think of where you're going in that program. There are no good answers. There can't be any good answers. If you came from nothing and you've done what you want to do, then you are God and you will cease when you die. I don't know what you think about that philosophy, but I'm going to step right back out from that, behind that curtain and say, that's not for me. Not because I want to believe there is a God. You have a bigger job proving there isn't one. Just like that house that you just visited. I mean, how absurd is that? Or going into a, to an art gallery and looking at some, I mean, masterpieces. Now, I wouldn't be that person to make that distinction. I'm not an artsy guy. That was the one class, if you could give an F in art, I would have gotten it. Because it, that's just not me. I color out of the lines. I use weird. I just can't do that stuff, right? Now, maybe I would fit in today's art world now that I think about it. I could just spot. Now, that's actually going to take my whole, my little model and destroy it because I'm thinking of these masterpieces and you say, whoa, how did that happen? How absurd to think, well, we just splashed some paint. And there it was. See how crazy that stuff is? A watch. That was one of the things as a youngster. I was just, and I knew there was an, old, an older man to me at the time when I was a youngster. His, uh, his name was, um, I'll, I'll fail, last name was Shabinsky. But he was a watch, not just a maker, but a fix. If, if you had a broken watch, you could take it to him and he could fix it. I mean, that's again, you just don't rattle it against the wall and it gets fixed. You have to know the mechanisms and how it's set up and how it works. See, not only did God make it, there's also those that would have come from the Stoics that would have seen there was an eternal something. Now, that's another thing that's interesting, an eternal something. In fact, they were pantheists. They believed God was in everything. There, was, there wasn't a lot of gods. There was just one, but it was everything. Hmm, Right? So for them, it was just getting through life. Uh, the, the Epicureans enjoy life. The Stoics said, endure life. And Paul's message was, find life. Isn't that true? See, if you don't know Jesus Christ, then you haven't even found life. What you're enjoying or enduring is nothing of life at all. It's actually death. How is Paul going to handle this? It says he was upset in his soul. Now, when's the last time have you went to... I've been to Vegas a couple times. I'm using that because it's probably the epitome of godlessness. Okay. Now, I, I'm going to take a step. Before I say that, even before we go that, let's just take a step back. The Epicureans, it was all about pleasure. The Stoics were all about philosophy, reason, uh, pantheism. There was, there, you couldn't really... It was an endurance, if you will, life was. But all of it was this. They didn't even believe that there was a God. 
and the pantheists, whatever you want to make of that. You know, this, there's, there's God in this. Uh, there's God in this chair. Or there's uh, Paul is God in the air conditioner. What is that? So, so, but I want to go there here. If you're a Christian, the first place to start, or I'm sorry, if you're here or anywhere, the first thing you must say is there is a God. There is a God. And again, creation just smacks of it. I don't know how you could look at those mountains and you, the air you're breathing. You can take this air. If you want to try this air compared to Mars, it's not going to work out for you. It's perfectly comprised. It has just the right amounts. Now, there's places that it's not as desirable, but that's not the air's problem, right? That's not God's problem. But to think of this, if there wasn't even a God, how could you know him? That's what, in all of this passage we read, and there's so, my head is full of directions we could take. But the one that just smacked at me, and then again, for Athens, there was probably a temple for, there was a temple for this God and that God. And there was gods everywhere, around every corner there was a God. I can't even tell you of a city in the United States like that because we don't just know one God. It's, if, a, if, if it has 100,000 people, that means there's 100,000 gods. That's the way the United States works today because you're a God unto yourself, serve self. So you, you, you get the picture. It's kind of like that. But let me show you something. This just hit me square in the head for the last three or four days. Just this one verse. Now, here's a place that has more gods than you can imagine. They're in the Roman Empire, but the Greek lineage is very powerful here. This would have been where Socrates came from. This is Socrates' uh, student Plato, Plato's student Aristotle. Those three guys, you know, you find them scattered all through history, sprinkled through almost all of literature, correct? Uh, I am not an expert on none of the three because their philosophy is incorrect in comparison to the truth. See, a lot of time we spend too much and I'm guilty of this too. I want to know what people think. And pretty soon I'm down a rabbit trail that is taking me somewhere that has nothing to do with Philippians 4.8. You know what that says? Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever, you know, it goes on. Think on those things. Spend your time there. So I don't do a lot with Socrates. But he was from the Greek culture. This was his city, if you will. In fact, that Areopagus, which would be the council. We haven't talked about that for a moment. Where was I going to take you before I went down that trail? Um, we'll get there. So Paul's doing business in the marketplace. Whoever will talk to him, he's, hey, how did you get here? You see, that's where he's going to start. If he would have went to the Jewish synagogue, he'd have started in the Old Testament, just like he's always done. He could show Jesus there. But how is he going to get to Jesus? If you go to Las Vegas, how are you going to get to Jesus there? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of noise there. That's, I, I had said I've been there a couple of times. And on both, I couldn't wait to leave. I was there for conventions or meetings or whatever. I, I literally couldn't wait to get out of there. Oh, I know. Lisa and I went to the, to the rodeo, the finals. We were there. Love the rodeo. Vegas, we could do better. It could be somewhere else. It could be in shared Montana. It'd be a lot better, wouldn't it? Yeah, it should really should. But it just, if you took a step back, now this, this is what's important. This is what I want you to see from Paul's perspective. This is what's happening to us when we become so immersed in our everyday lives and just the way America is. K 
can I go to Las Vegas and my heart is stirred and pained by all of the idolatry that's taking place? That's what the verse says as Paul gets to Athens by himself. He is broken for what he sees as men and, and women following after false gods. Now, when we say idolatry, your mind usually goes, zoom, it's out the door. i got to go get you back in. Come back in here. Hey, hey, hey. No, no. Money, power, politics, right? Let's name these gods. Pleasure, food. I could go on, right? There's all little gods. If you're worshiping, if it's keeping you from worshiping the God, that is a small g God. What takes you? What, what motivates you? What captures you? That's your God. Ooh, there's a lot of those around, isn't there? Are they satisfying? There's people that have spent their entire life, and I mean people that have been magnificently wealthy. They've traveled the world and I, don't get me wrong, I like to see new things, new places. Where I'm, I'm kind of, that rancher part of me, when I'm, when I'm in rural country, I'm always wanting to see what they're doing. Is there something there that I can implement back home? I, there's always, you can learn all this, all this stuff. And traveling is one of those things. You can, there's places I don't want to go either, but you get the idea. There's, but you know what? Those world travelers, world pleasure seekers, powerful, wealthy, have it all. I'm going to say the mini Solomons of today. You read the Bible, I'm telling you, Solomon... He had everything that you could possibly even imagine and more. And he wrote Ecclesiastes. <laughs> right? That should just be a warning for us. That guy got it all. And he was not satisfied. Now, this, I'm, and you say, what verse was it that hit you in the head? I'm getting there. <clears throat> all these gods. They would have their favorite. Everybody has their favorite God, too, by the way. If you're a pleasure seeker, it's you. If you're an educated genius, it's intellect. Philosophy. I could go, you know, you, you get the idea. All of a sudden, idolatry took on a whole new playing field for it, didn't, didn't it? But let's look at this one. Let's take your Bibles again and let's buzz back into Acts chapter 17. And, and I, I'm, I'm going in a verse that we haven't even got to, but Paul has been apprehended. As you're turning there, i got to get you there. Okay, so, so Paul is doing business at the marketplace. He's telling people, where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going? Answers of which were, hmm, hmm, and hmm. <laughs> but certainly when it come down to the fact, as even in their quiet moments, they would have said, you know, I'm just here because I'm here. I don't know how I got here. Who cares how I got here? I'm here. You know, that, that, isn't that small now? I want to know how I got here. It didn't just happen. Where did I come from? Because if I know that answer, then I have to be pretty realistic about what or why am I here. But those that didn't care about the first, the beginning was, well, I'm just here to have fun at any cost. That's fun. Pleasure. Where are you going? Mm, that's a problem. So that's how Paul's going to start. That's where he's at. The Stoics and Epicureans, it says it costed him. And that's my word. They were at least there in a civil manner saying, 
Who are you? They said that babbler, remember that when I read that word, babbler? It actually means a, a, a bird snatcher or, or a seed snatcher. If you go around, if you've watched in the, in the, maybe in your yard or in a, in a, you'll see just sparrows or whatever, and they're just randomly just picking up stuff. That's literally what that word means. So, Paul, you're, you're just picking up stuff from all over, and you're just, what is this? But it was new. It was novelty. That was another thing that was interesting in Athens. If you had a new religion, a new god, a new idea, a new philosophy, you were cool. And you got to visit the Council of Areopagus. That was on Mars Hill. You saw those terms are interchangeable, actually. Mars and Areopagus are the same place. It would be on that hill of which there was, let's discuss what it is you have to discuss. You've got something novel, something new. I look on the Internet, and I'll tell you what. The new is what everybody chases after, right? New, 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 new. Let's find something new, new age, new whatever, which new age is now old age because we're moved on to woke and wake, and you go on and on, right? It's all about newness. See how Athens, this, this, this city right here, Athens, is the one most like America today. Just captured me this week. So they've taken him. Now, this isn't, again, last time, you, if you saw him in Thessalonica, they drug Paul <laughs> into jail. And they put him in stocks and beat him and at midnight. You remember the story? He starts praising God at midnight when he's in stocks, having been beaten half to death. And you're thinking, hmm, <laughs> that'll make a difference, though, and walks away, right? It's great. Jailer got saved. You talk about real life? Absolutely. Now, these people, the Epicureans and the Stoics, said, Paul, I don't know what you're doing, this, this bird snatching thing. You're picking up seeds all over the place, and you're calling it something. Well, let's, let's go down to Areopagus. Let's have a discussion. So this, and this, this would have been a large gathering. Now, this is what I want you to think. Some have read that passage and said, Paul never finished the gospel. He never finished. We'll get to that in a moment. But he wasn't in a synagogue. He wasn't in a place that he was to be listened to for what he had to say. He was being not necessarily apprehended. He wasn't on trial. He was literally, tell us what you're trying to give to us. I don't, well, talk us about this Jesus deal, right? So now they're gathered on Mars Hill, and he's describing for them. How will Paul do that? How would you do this if someone, if you were just talking to people in Vegas? And I'm, you can put any town you want because we're not that far off anywhere anymore. Right? What would you tell them? You know, if you go to Psalm chapter 145 and verse 18, it tells that those that are near to God, I'm sorry, those that are looking for God will find him. Why don't you have a nice day, buddy? Right? You're not going to get anywhere. How's he going to do this, right? He's alone. It's not like Silas, would you go to the back and pray? Silas isn't there. Got on the phone, would you pray? No phone. This is a real critical time here, isn't it? You ever been in alone, uh, alone where there's a place it's really tough to be? Whew, that's Paul. How's he going to do this? What's he going to do? And they got all these gods already. Do they need another one? I love how he plays this. This is the verse that got me. Glasses, glasses, glasses. There they are. Acts chapter 17. And I'm going to back up so that you gather this context. It says in verse 18, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans, of the Stoics, encountered him. Some said, What will this babbler say? Some others, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him into the Areopagus. 
saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to earth. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. Now, that's, that word could be translated religious as well. Okay? For as I passed by, beheld your devotions, your religiosity, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Isn't that amazing? If you have all these gods, why would you need an, quote, unknown God? Because your God isn't getting it done. <laughs> There's no satisfaction in anything that they were chasing. At the end of the day in Vegas, when they finally go to bed, which is probably four in the morning or whatever, you know how much satisfaction there was after all of that? None! I can tell you that. It's empty. It's vain. It's It's nothing. In Athens, it's much the same. So they actually have an altar set up for the unknown God. Now watch what Paul does. He's literally going to take that and say, you know what? That unknown God, which is the one you really are seeking because you're not satisfied with all of these that you have, you're looking for the unknown, which you don't know his name, you don't know who he is, you don't know where he's from or where he's going. I'm going to tell you about that one. <laughs> Isn't that smarter? I mean, that's brilliant. The unknown God, I'm going to tell you about him right now. Let's talk about people that know God. There's those that know God, and there's those that don't know God. Okay? Fair? Of the ones that don't know God, there are those that don't know they don't know God. Okay? And there's the ones that know they don't know God. Is that, do we need to say that again? That's a lot of notes in there. So let's say, I can't, it would take me too long to write it out or I would do it. Two kinds of people, those that know God, those that don't know God. The ones that don't know God, there are those that don't know they don't know God. And there are those that know they don't know God. Now, if you're in the town of Athens, you really aren't too concerned about the ones that know God because there aren't any there. <laughs> so you're going to be working on the side that don't know God. Are there, people to, are there people today that don't know they don't know God? There's a lot of them, actually. And this is the scary part. They would have fit right into Athens because they have gods of their own today. I could name cults. I could name, but I'm not going to do that because it's all the same. The result is the same. If they have enough religion, quotes around religion, they think they know God, even though they don't. So they, therefore, don't know they don't know God. That's the most scary place to be, except for one other one. Of the ones that know they don't know God, there are those that want to know God, and there are those that don't care to ever know God. That's the atheists. That's the self-proclaimed atheists. They don't want to know God. But Paul is after the ones that don't know God, that want to know God. That should be very much the same as how we approach any place we're at. Somewhere, somehow, somebody wants to know about God. 
Think of uh, downtown Jericho, just before Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Remember that little song, right? There was a person that lived in that village, in that town, in that city, whatever you want to call it. How many times has she been to church? I'm going to go with zero. Okay. And how much of the Bible did she have? There wasn't one. What was the name of her church? Uh, probably an Epicurean, right? A Jerichoian, right? But I mean, it's the same. By the way, it's just like today. This isn't, this, the Epicureans are just as famous today. They have a different name. They can call whatever they want, but they're serving themselves, right? How did Rahab, how did Rahab, in the middle of Jericho, of a house of ill repute, find God? And if you want to know the thing, little quote unknown, or a little pun on no, go to Matthew and you'll find that Rahab is in the genealogy of none other than Jesus Christ. She wanted to know God. That's all I can tell you. Before she knew God, she wanted to know God. That's something we should be thankful for. Tying in, I mean, it fits beautifully. Thanksgiving is just around the corner, right? The forgotten holiday, the unknown holiday, if you will, right, in America? One of the things I'm so thankful for today is the fact that God revealed himself to me. Doesn't get any better than that. What if he would have hidden? hidden? What if he had kept that a secret? Ooh, I'm going to see if Larry can figure that all out, all out by himself. He's, he's not the smartest guy, but I'll bet you, well, I don't know, it's up to him. I'm lost. What if we didn't have the Bible? What if we didn't have ancestors that would train us and tell us, and the Moseses, if you will, that shared their lives and showed us God? Have you thanked God for that? Now, the Athenians, there's a couple of, in this whole gathering, there's just a few that it says we're saved. It, he did not start a church in Athens. We're not told of one. This is one of the roughest places that he ever went. Does it sound like America? But yet he went. He wasn't enamored with the sculptures. He wasn't enamored with all of the stuff. And I've been, I've been blown away from some of the cities I've been in, from just the stark, raving architecture and what took place. It's, it, it, I have to say, it amazes me. But you know what amazed Paul? Was the idolatry. Behind all of that stuff, that he, he saw people that were hurting. He saw people that wanted to know God. They've even got an altar for the unknown God. I think you could put that downtown Sheridan, right? We have statues of fish. <coughs> statues of everything, isn't it? Do you, do you, see, how, do you see how pertinent this is? <laughs> this is little Athens. What will we do? Here's Paul standing up, the Areopagus, Mars Hill. And he says, I want to tell you about the unknown God. You've even got an altar right here. See, and the cool thing was, they didn't know who he was, so there was no deity. There was nothing to claim. They just knew that the ones they had weren't good enough. Otherwise, why would you need one? <laughs> People that have lived their lives on their deathbed that have never found God are still looking, still got that vacancy in their heart, in their mind. Who's the real God? That's the ones that Paul wanted to find.
Well, the first thing he's going to do, let's take verse 23 and say it again. For I passed by and behold your devotions. That's your religiosity, the sense of how intricate you are involved in your chasing your gods. I found an altar with the inscription, to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship. You don't know him. You don't even know who he is, but you worship him. Him, I declare I unto you. I'm going to tell you about that God. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now that was a little bit of a play as well. But the first thing he's going to start with, there is a God. There is a God. That's a big place to start today. I can't tell you how many people I run into that there's no God. That's going to be hard to talk about Jesus as needing their Savior, right? You have to start at the first place. That's where Paul started, right there. Creation. Creation. God is a creator. He made it all. That's who this unknown God is that you don't know, is he's a creator. There is a God. Um, I can't remember exactly. Alcoholics Anonymous, I think one of the first things they start you off to say, there is a God and it isn't you. Correct? I think that's the way it goes. Now, that's not enough for me, but the fact of the matter is, is you can't get anywhere until, first of all, you know you're not God. <laughs> and I think that's a great place to start even today where, where we're at right here in the United States of America. You are not God, but there is one. And then I love to talk about creation. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep moving today, but creation is the place to start, honestly. I'm going to go to Romans chapter 1 because it keeps popping in my head. We need to go there for a moment. Because one of the things that's really bothersome is, yeah, you know what? Paul popped into Athens at just the right time. Somebody got saved that day. But how, many, how about other places that he didn't go or someone hasn't been, that you guys haven't been to to share the gospel, or anyone for that matter? How do they find God? It's creation. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Hold your place. We won't take long, but I want to go to Romans chapter 1 for a moment. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Whoops, I'm going the wrong way. Acts is the bridge to Romans, not, not the other way. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's start in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." This very essence of the creation. And we happen to live in a spectacular valley. You know, I, I would have a little more trouble maybe living in the Sahara Desert. Not to say there's not a lot of intricacy in sand, but I tell you what, the beauty of which we find ourselves, and then when some, somebody wants to tell me that it just happened, go away with that idea. Come back and let's talk about God that created it. If you're a pygmy in the South American jungles, you have just as much opportunity to see what was created. That's God revealing himself in the very essence of what he did as a creator. He was a creator. There is a God. With that in mind, turn with me to Psalm 145 for a moment. This is a verse that applies very adeptly right here. Psalm 145 and verse 18. The Lord is nigh 
unto all. Oops, now I've got to turn the page and it doesn't want me to do that. Say it again. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. If you really want to know about God, if there's a desire in your heart to know who God is, that verse tells me that you will find Him. Jeremiah 29, 13, write that in your notes as well. There's another one. That's, that, that, what a blessing, what a thankfulness we have. If you've come to Christ, literally it's because God has brought you to Him. Started with creation. This is, that's why a youngster, a three, a four, a five-year-old can see God more clearly and more easily and a Savior more readily when you tell them about Him because they just, they, first of all, there's a vacuum within their hearts. That's why everybody has a God. Even those that say they don't have a God have a God. It's them. That's the way God made us. You go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I forget the verse. But we were made with a vacuum. Literally, there is a place for God. And if that's not in there, and there's not anymore, do you know why? Because it's called sin. For sin brought death upon all men. Adam and Eve. Ah, wouldn't we like to have those moments back? Went from walking in the garden with God to spitting in His face. That's all I can tell sin. Whenever we sin, we're spitting in God's face. Sorry, that's what it is. I do it as much as anyone. But Jesus Christ died for me. And the more that I know there is a God, I want to know what He's saying. What is God saying? If there is a God, what is He saying? What else can we know about God? What can we know about Him? What Paul goes on to say. He says, He made the world and all things therein, verse 24, seeing that He is Lord. This is in, back in Acts chapter 17. He is Lord of heaven and earth and dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Now, I couldn't begin to tell you the countless numbers of temples that were in Athens, holding gods. <laughs> that was a little bit of ouchy. Neither, verse 25, is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth all life and breath and all things. Not only is God a creator, but He's a, he's a provider. You have life. You're sitting here in this place right here today because there is a God. He's provided you. Think, think of even the trees and the vegetation. That photosynthesis and how it works. Oh, isn't that magnificent? I don't remember all the stuff I was supposed to in biology and we were studying the plants and the photosynthesis and the stamina and all of that. But you know what? It was, it was still fascinating to me. Whoa, that doesn't just happen. <laughs> right? I was reading about a, something, an orchid that has like two stamuses and the way, I mean, it's just amazing. Like the insect that is going to, that is, is going to uh, pollinate this, this particular dual. I'm just like, just that would prove there's a God. It was amazing. That's how God's creation is. But then he didn't just step away from it. Now that's something that the Stoics or many other religions would believe. Well, yeah, the Stoics particularly. They would say, like, yeah, okay, there was, a, there was a great being, and actually there's a little bit of him left everywhere, but he just stepped away. He or it just stepped away. He's no longer involved. That's kind of what dualism says. God made it, and then he just took off. He doesn't care about it. You guys just carry on. See, that would mean that you can't know God. Right? Wouldn't that be a terrible world? There is a God. But, sorry, you can't know him. <laughs> huh, that's a downer. If I can't know him, where am I going? See, see, it's all tied together, isn't it? But you know the really cool thing? There is a God, and he can be known. 
because he's personally, intimately involved in not only creation and keeping it together, he talks of Jesus Christ in Hebrews, that he's the one that holds it all together. If, if he let go for one millisecond, this place would blow up. Do a study on the atoms and the very minuscule parts that literally they can't tell you what holds that together. The electrons and the neutrons. They, they can't tell you. There's, a, there's an unknown force. It's called Jesus Christ. He's intimately involved not only in our lives as a result of what he is in creation, but he's providing at every level. You're here today because he provided enough air for you. He provided everything you needed to be here. He didn't make you come here, but he provided the way for you to be here. True? He's a provider. He's a creator. He's also a ruler. Let's keep going. And hath made of one, verse 26, hath made of one blood all nations of God, I'm sorry, all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. In other words, everything that's happening in this world today, literally God has still confined to some certain degree and defined others. Parts of it I don't understand. That's where the atheist will come on and say, you know, come on, really? If there's a God, would not this suffering stop? I know one day I will. I know that God is going, everything that's happened so far in this book, the prophecy, the prophetic events that have said to be, have been fulfilled. I'm good to go on. They're going to end that way too. The suffering thing, I don't know. I just assume if he made me sinless today too, I'd be happy about that. But you know what? Every day that I know how much I need him make me that much more dependent on him. Isn't there something about that relationally that makes me closer, want to be there closer? That's amazing how great God really is and just how, he ref- how he's putting us in his care. The one that I think of, though, is Nebuchadnezzar. Right? He thought he was something. I think everybody told him he was something. There's people that think there's something and nobody's even told him yet. But this guy was told that he was something. He's the world ruler. Think of that. You take all the world, this dude rules it all. And he started to have sentences that had a whole lot of I in them. Reminds me of Isaiah with Satan. I shall be like the most high, and I shall, and I shall. That's called pride, and you know what? God can just go, kawushki, and you are flat on your can. Guess where Nebuchadnezzar was? He was a cow. Hmm. Now that's a demotion. But you know what? Even that was the only way that Nebuchadnezzar would have known there was a God. Because I want to read, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 4 right now because it keeps banging in my head. Let's go to Daniel chapter 4 for a moment. This is the event that literally his own life came to conclusion of because that God was in fact powerful. He was a ruler. He himself was completely and fully in control. Let's see here. Where did that go? Yeah, let's go at verse 34, Daniel chapter 4. This is at the end of this period of time where, well, just take a step back. In verse 33, it says, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass as oxen. That's not lettuce, people. That's grass. And his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hairs were growing like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. I would have wondered how the the grandchildren or the children of Nebuchadnezzar would have handled that. Uh, I'd like to visit Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. Is he around today? Oh, he's actually 
tied up in the backyard. <laughs> I was thinking how funny that actually sounded when I said it, but right, I mean, uh, he's working on the lawn. <laughs> But now think of that for a moment, though. Here's the, here's the most powerful man in the world, and if you asked him how powerful he was before that just happened, he would say, there is no one that is more powerful than me. <laughs> God says, watch this. <laughs> that was one of the things, uh, and this, isn't, this actually isn't funny, but um, this Bruce, the guy that I, I'm still asking you to pray for him in Ohio, this ex-pastor, he said, if there really was a God, then why doesn't he show himself to me? Why doesn't he come right down here right now and show himself to me? And I just think the audacity is beyond belief. Now, God did do this to Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm thinking that Nebuchadnezzar is quite a bit bigger, quite a bit wealthier, quite a bit more powerful than Bruce. Not taking anything away. Bruce is a human being. God died for him. Jesus Christ died for him, just like he did for anyone else. But let's look at this now. Let's watch it develop. Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, ooh, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he's got some things to say. Verse 34, lifted up mine eyes into heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom and mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Isn't that amazing coming from Nebuchadnezzar? See, that's in the Bible because I'm telling you what, you've got to take a step back and say, wow. God's in charge. God's in charge. Now, he could have just easily, this is the, this is the part. God could have easily just make, took Mr. Nebuchadnezzar and went, squash. I don't need you anymore. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, he could have went, squash. But he didn't. See, that's got to be something to do with the continuation of what sin's provocations and consequences are. It continues and we blame God, but it's not his fault. And if he finally said, squash, we'd all be gone. It'd be over. There'd be no Savior. Jesus, there's nothing. His grace literally allows it to go on. And we're just showing the consequences so that we come to him. When I see what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, I'll tell you what, it's a lot harder for me to get really boastful because that dude, he could do it. He built stuff. He saw stuff. He ruled stuff. And God said, hmm, I think I'm done with you right now. Watch this. And then he got the right answer. He revealed himself to him. See, God is a revealer. He's a creator. He's a provider. He's a ruler. And he's a revealer. That's exciting to me because literally he didn't have to. God didn't have to. But he revealed himself. And this day, literally back, let's go back to Acts chapter 17. As Paul is witnessing on this Mars Hill, the Areopagus, people are seeing, having the opportunity to see God closer than they've ever seen him. He does that. We read verse 26, and that was, I went back to, to the affairs of men, the world 
powers. You even go forward now, you go into Revelation, you'll see how this tribulation period, how the Antichrist will take and do what it would seem anything he wants to do. But ultimately, it's like setting everything that is against God, everything that is not God. And Jesus Christ comes at the end and it's finished. Those events are all pre-told. As one would say, that's just pantomime. I mean, it'll play itself out, and people of that time will just say, oh, like, ah, it's all written about. That's why I would say, get saved today. <laughs> you read Revelation. If you want to get scared in being saved today, go ahead and read Revelation. <laughs> yes, I bow right now. And by the way, if you choose not to bow now or then, you will bow to Jesus Christ one day. It tells us that absolutely every knee shall bow. Now, whether you like it or not, if you're mad about it, it doesn't matter because he's God. <laughs> I'm glad he's God. Look at this, though. Why does he do that? It's got, see, verse 26 ends in a semicolon. It says, that they, shall, that they should seek the Lord if haply, that is, if they desire, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. The essence of God being involved in others' lives. Look at Esther. That book is a really amazing book to me. Uh, that's, a, that's a fun book to read. I mean, you have, obviously, you have the forces of evil, you have, you have the good, but there's not one time, I dare you, take the whole book of Esther and you find for me in that one reference, one time that God is mentioned by name in that book. It's not there. And yet you find him everywhere. Everywhere, the timing, the sovereignty, all of that is just so intricately wound. That's what God is doing today. He is intricately working in America, in the world, and He's using you as His messengers. Are you answering the call? That's the question. Did Paul answer the call? In Athens, absolutely. That place was never quite the same. Last week we talked about, remember he was in Berea and Thessalonica. He turned the world upside right. <laughs> and I can't hardly say that right, right? Right. right. <laughs> and he's doing the same thing in Athens. Let's keep going. Not only is God a creator, a provider, a ruler, a revealer, but he's also a savior. For in him, verse 28, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like, like unto gold or silver or stone gra graven by art and man's device. There's something about that whole thing. If, if we're made by God, if we're offspring, that's the term he uses. It actually comes from there's a couple of Greek poets, which I don't remember their names. But, but that's the cool thing about Paul as well. He always knew his audience. He knew where they were coming from. And if you don't, you don't think that's important, it's huge. Jesus Christ, he never approached people with exactly the same way of the message. He got there, but he did it in different ways. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that if Jesus Christ came to, to Sheridan, Montana, by the way, that's how he comes is through you, you wouldn't use the same approach with every person. You would want to know about that person. You would want to know where are they coming from. And Paul... And he was pretty studied. He was educated beyond belief, wasn't he? A Pharisee of Pharisees is what it's called. He was under Gamaliel. He would have had exposure to many different things. He's actually using two quotes from prof I'm sorry, poets that were of Greek lineage just to, again, further their attention. He's talking about the offspring of God. Now, it's interesting. If we are the offspring, if we are the children of God, why would we want to take silver, gold, wood, or whatever and make a God? That's so backwards. Because we're children of the God... That's who we should turn around and worship, correct? That's an interesting, that whole thing is very interesting. Do you see how he's just going, chink, chink, 
chink, chink. Where did you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? And he's doing it to someone that wouldn't know the first thing about the Old Testament or about the unknown God. That's as close as he could get. Did you see how clever that was? It's always would work today in America. That was my man. I was, do, you, do you have a God? No, there isn't a God. Well, would you like a God? Ah, uh, sounds like a trick question to me. Well, I said, so far, it's just you. Is that a big enough God for you? Or do you want a God? The unknown God. I mean, the God that could give you eternal life. Well, there's no such thing. Well, I said, it's only because you're just taking your own reasoning. But would you, would you like a God? See, that's going to make them think. Even if they don't, can't answer it, talk to them about the unknown God, which is Jesus Christ, is the way to get to God. You see, before Jesus Christ came, it wasn't as clear, was it? The message was just a little... You could see it through creation. He chose the Jewish people to literally make a note, put the rest of the world on notice. This is my people. This is what I can do. This is the power that they have when they trust me. And then about every, what? How often? Really often. You know, they thumb their nose at God, right? And then God was, Moses, just get out of the way. I want to burn these people up. I'm going to start off with you. And that wasn't for, God knew what he was going to do, but for Moses. No, 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 you can't do that because you're God. I know, but thanks that you saw that, right? America needs God worse than any time I've ever seen this nation need it. We don't even know who we are. Who cares about where we came from? We don't even know who we are, literally. (laughs) Do we need God? Yes, we do. I think we'd have to start about the same way. I want to talk to you about the unknown God, the God that you've never known. I think it sells. That is brilliant. I just look at that, I'm thinking, he's in Athens. What what approach are you going to use? The same one you would America today. As if there was no known God. Start from the basics. There is a God. Tell me why evolution is true. Could you tell me why you think it works? The second law of thermodynamics, you're science guys, right? Tell me how this works. And you don't have to get in their face. You don't have to get bold. I mean, speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. That's my goal. There are those that are mean with truth. They're not very effective. And then there's those that are just lovey-dovey-dovey-dovey. Yeah, I just love it all. It's just love. You'll be fine. It's everybody's together. It's no problem at all. No, neither one. Or it's false. It's true. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Do you see Paul? He spoke the truth in love, didn't he? Right where they lived. Right where they lived. Let's keep going. <laughs> Back to verse 29. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we are the offspring of God, we are his children. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. One of the things that man has done is where we are to worship the Creator and glorify Him. What's cool now is we worship creation and glorify ourselves. Totally backwards. That's his point. Verse 30. The times of this ignorance God winked at, of the unknown prior to Jesus Christ, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. That would have been the first 
thing that he's asking them to do, verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Boom! That was like, that was the death knell of this little sermonette. Thinking what he's saying now. He says, right now, guys, I've given you enough to know there's a creator, there's a provider, there's a ruler, there's a controller, there's a revealer, and I'm going to show you the Savior. And you need a Savior because you've sinned. And he's asking all of you to repent right now. Why? Because there's going to be a day, there's an appointed day that this judge, who is Jesus Christ, and we could go to John chapter 5, verse 22, I think it is, that he is the judge. He's the one that's going to have that job to do. Now, how do you know he's qualified? Why is Jesus the judge? How did he earn the right? That's what Paul says right here. He says the assurance of that is set up in the fact that God rose him from the dead. The resurrection is what proved that he was worthy to be a savior, but also a judge. As he comes the second and the second coming, he will act as judge because literally he again, God rose him from the dead to say that his job as serving as a sacrifice for all mankind was complete, fulfilled, and perfect. Now, when he said the resurrection word, boing, uh, there was some reverberations coming from the crowd. There was three responses. Much like, now again, uh, it's, it's important to know that Paul was in no way, shape, or form in any type of a God-centered arena. He was in the Areopagus. This is a place of new ideas, just to make sure that it fits every, so it can all fit together. Very Americanized. This is very woke right here. This is, this is the woke thing. Because if this resurrection is very different. This, whoa, 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 whoa. Resurrection. See, the Stoics, the Epicureans, they would not have believed in any of that. None of that. That's, that's, that, that's off limits. Now, the word that I didn't even know this till the study. The Greek word for a resurrection is, and someone says in the audience in the back, Anastasia. Have you ever heard it? I knew a couple of Anastasia. Now, I wondered if their parents or her parents knew what it meant. Resurrection. That was the word that was literally used. Paul used that word, Anastasia. When he said that word, it was like, whoof, that was like a division. That's when it started, which would be very much the same. If you go to downtown Sheridan, Twin Bridges, Dillon, whatever, and to most of the crowd that would be gathered talking about, you've got a new God? Well, let's talk about that. Well, I want to talk to you about the one that was creator, ruler, controller, revealer. He's a savior through Jesus Christ, and he proved it by raising him from the dead. Oh, my word. Right. And they laugh and scoff and mock, and away they go. And that happens every day, by the way. You look at these talking forums, the ones that, you know, even on these news, these Internet news channels, Fox News, or whatever you might have, behind almost every article, there's a place for the, for the people to get engaged. A lot of that is trolls. I get that. But you know what? The most time, it's amazing to me, and this has all changed 50, 60 years ago. That never happened. Not that voices couldn't be heard, but the final thing is this is that now today that person that is writing something at the bottom of this article has just as much right, just as much power, because their truth is as good as anyone else's. That's how to lose the war, is when truth becomes something that's so effervescent as being just whatever's babbled by the nearest person. As long as it doesn't hurt someone. Have you ever read those forums? There's a lot of hurt going on because there's no truth. When you put a, a Bible verse on there, you read that? Oh. Unleash the fury of hell. Right? 
This is, that, that shouldn't alarm us what's happening in Mars Hill or Areopagus. It'd be much worse here. Let's keep going. So we had the first response of laughter and mocking, followed by, let's see, that's what verse was I in? Verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. In other words, ah, I think we've heard enough for now. We'll get back to you. But there were some, let's watch, there were some that believed. It says, so Paul departed from among, wait, 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 wait a minute, Paul, where are you going? Hey, hey, finish the gospel like Jesus died for your sins. No, he had said everything needed to say. You have a creator, you have a ruler, you have a provider, you have a revealer. I've presented the Savior in a very beginning way, and you're mocking and laughing. Oh, you don't want to hear me anymore? That's okay. But you know what happened? This is what happens. Those that wanted to know more about God, wanted to know more about Jesus and the resurrection, watch what happens. Paul leaves, and they follow. Howbeit certain men clave, <laughs> they stuck with him and believed, among the which was Dinah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, that's good, because I'm looking at it, and it wasn't coming out that way. Dionysius. And Areopagite. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you see the power in this? You know, you just didn't get to be on the council of Areopagus. This was one of those guys. He was fit to be on. He was educated. He would have been philosophically correct. He could just smooth all of these things together. Novelty. Oh, there's, there's a new one. That'll be a good one. He chose to believe Paul's God that day. He got to know the unknown God that day. And then there was a lady, Tamarius, and others with them. It seems like a small group. It's not like it was at Pentecost, right? But where are they at? This is the world's forum right here. And you know what he did? Some of those that probably wanted to hear him later, they would have known who he was. And the game was open. Guess where he was going to be meeting the next day? At the marketplace. Same story. Same message. Same God. Same creator. Same ruler. Same, I want you to know the unknown God. This is, this is crazy good. This one here, Athens, his visit to Athens is probably the most like America today. Where are we at in that mix? Are we catching the vision like Paul? When you enter into Bozeman? No, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, there's no self-righteous thing going on here right now. Bozeman is not the place for me to hang out. I'm ready to go. I'm there, get my stuff, get. Bozeman right now needs Jesus more than any place I can think of right now. There is more stuff from different places that looks like Athens than I could tell you. Do we see the lost or do we see the problems? It's easy to see problems, isn't it? Paul saw the lost. Paul used an opportunity to say, you know, what do you do? And I'm going to say, I would have been just mystified. I don't know. What do you deal with? They got more gods than they have people. He says, you know, I saw this altar of the unknown God. I'm going to talk to you about him because you don't know him and you're not satisfied with the God you have. There's a whole lot of people, and I don't want to pick on Bozeman today, but it's just a gathering point of culturally just, ah. It just, ha, ah, it makes you sigh, doesn't it? They're seeking for stuff that's not real. They're hanging their hats on things that are not real. And there's just as much God needed there as anywhere. Are we going to take the message? 
Now your life, first of all. It's amazing. How did Paul stick out? We know he's a tent maker. Did he set up a shop in the marketplace and start making tents? Knowing him, I bet he did. He had his stuff. I'm sure he had his bag of stuff, right? And he's, but you, I know he was visiting all the time. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, buddy? You need a tent? Just want to take a look. I'm just making this one. Hey, did you ever think about life? Where did you come from? That's quite a question, isn't it? Hey, look at this. You see how this door opens on this tent? I made this one kind of special. It kind of just opens from the bottom up, and the other ones. Are, do, you, do you know where you're going? Ah, just a question. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? He was able to take spiritual issues through physical circumstances and make it real, and they could grab onto it. You see what I'm saying? That's literally speaking the truth in love with your life. Athens could have never been the same because he was turning this place upside right. <laughs> they got acquainted with the unknown God. I'll tell you what, I'm going to say it again as we're approaching Thanksgiving season. Just think of all the things we can be thankful for. I'm thankful that God was a creator. You're here today because God created you. Because God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That first verse, Genesis 1-1, is the reason you're here today. I'm glad that God is a provider. I'm glad that he made grass to grow. I'm glad that he made cattle that eat the grass that we can eat. I'm glad that he's a provider of even the things that we can't see. I mean, we talked about a couple weeks ago that we rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. As we're rejoicing and we're casting our care, no anxiety, that peace that passes all understanding becomes ours. Why? Because God is providing that when we respond to him. Isn't that, isn't that great? Our eternal life is fixed because of what Jesus Christ did. Again, thanking him for what he saw before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, is amazing to me. Do you see how much we have to be thankful for? Just, just from the very essence of who God is. If you want to be overwhelmed, just study God. That's what I tell somebody that's an atheist. They said, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Was it somebody else's idea? And they'll probably rattle off some of us. I said, did you actually do your own study? How big are you? I mean, for this, you say there is no God means that you must be pretty big yourself to say that somewhere there's not a God. That's usually met with different kinds of rhetoric. Not so nice words sometimes. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? Right? Push back in love. Push back in love. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. Did you see pushback? A lot of it. Did you see a love? Got a lot of it. And when they got done, they, would have to, they had to have, when they went home, whoa, that was, that was interesting. That was enough for that day. It was just right for those two people and others that would have come to him and said, we want that. I'm afraid that Mr. Areopagite would have cast his sense of resignation the next day. It's not for me anymore. I've found the unknown God. i found the way. I've got the deal. Do you have the deal? Do you have that God? Do you have the creator? Do you have the ruler, the revealer, the savior? That same God that Nebuchadnezzar saw? I hope so. He's just as open to you today. Let's close with a verse in Second Thessalonians. Our first Thessalonians, remember, I'm using that probably because if you notice that just the previous, while well, he was in Berea for just a short time, but he would have been, I mean, beaten, jailed in stocks in Thessalonica. And he ends the first letter to the church at Thessalonica this way. 
verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says, Rejoice evermore. That's what he did in jail. Pray without ceasing. He did that. In everything, verse 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ah, good words, good words, especially for the season to find ourselves living. Praise God. Be sure that you're one of those that know God. That's what Paul was opening up to the people in Athens. Trust him. He is the only way. Jesus Christ said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes out of the Father except by me. I want to, one, one other, I, sorry, I said I was going to close there, but that was closing that chapter. Let's go to Hebrews, just go back one. And I, this is a verse that literally does pretty demandingly speak to us of what needs to happen in the sense of faith. Hebrews 11, 6. Hebrews 11, 6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him, speaking of God. It's impossible. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That's the beginning point. There is a God. Faith will never happen until you know that there's a God and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's the definition of faith right there. So make sure that you have a creator, a ruler, a giver, a controller, a revealer, because that's the God that's described for us by Paul to the Athenians. Let's thank God for all that he's done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love, for your care, for your understanding of us. Yes, you made us. We are made in your image. What a precious thought to know that you made us in your own image. Father, thank you for providing Jesus Christ, the giver of life. As the Epicureans were enjoying life, the Stoics were enjoying life, Paul was describing how to find life. For if we're without Christ, we are dead in trespasses and sins. There's nothing that we can bring to the table. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you in this season, Father, that these next several days, may we take time to just thank you for all that you have done, counting our blessings as that song which we sung. May it be part of us as we rejoice in you in all things. We thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for Christ again. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.